Welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers and endurance enthusiasts, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. A little bit raspy this week on the voice front, a little bit of a head cold and too much talking, if there can ever be so much of a thing, uh, has left me a little bit uh, husky this week, so I hope it won't deter from your enjoyment of uh, this week's show. This is our 15th episode of the show and for the first time the interview was held remotely with me in Galway and our guest Hayley Chura in Bozeman, USA. I can definitely say that every day is a school day in this job, but it was lots of fun getting ready to record this episode and Hayley was the perfect guest to kick off these style of interviews where I delved really into the unknown of remote interviewing. It's almost Christmas and we are rocketing towards 10,000 downloads of the podcast, which would be an amazing Christmas present. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. If you could share the podcast on your own social pages, email it to your colleagues and friends and spread the word on the podcast, you would be giving me the best Christmas present this year. And you would also be helping with the spreading of the word around the sport of triathlon, around adventure, around endurance activity, and helping to encourage more people to get involved in sport and to be inspired to maybe take up some form of triathlon. So our guest this week, Hayley Chura, is a professional athlete. As I've mentioned, she's based in Bozeman in the US. She's co-host of the popular Iron Women podcast with Alisa Gadeski and was the MC of the Outspoken Summit I attended in Tempe, Arizona last month. She is an Ironman and 70.3 Ironman champion, racing against the best in the world as both an age grouper and a professional athlete. A collegiate swimmer, she competed in the Olympic swim trials in 2004 and 2008, turning professional in 2013 and chasing a Kona dream. However, a crash in 2015, 20 days out from the Ironman World Championships, knocked her down for a while, but not out of racing completely. And she has returned to the sport that she loves to have some of the best results of her professional career to date. We chat about her career and her plan for 2020, as well as spending some time chatting about the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. For me, this summit was one of the highlights of my 2019, from the location, which was a new place to visit and an exciting adventure in itself, to the people I met, what I learned and experienced, to the takeaways I'm trying to implement across both personal and professional areas of my life, even though a lot of that time it intermingles. Huge big shout out to all the amazing women I met and connected with the summit. It was fantastic to meet them all and I look forward to seeing how their takeaways and their action plans unfold over the coming weeks and months and as we head into 2020. I came home from the summit full of ideas and motivation to encourage more people, more women, more men, more children into the sport of triathlon. The sport has given me so much over the past 10 years. It's hard to quantify the positive and profound impact being part of the triathlon community, not just here in Ireland, but across the world has had on my life and indeed my career. So watch this space. There's lots of plans afoot for 2020. Now back to 2019 and if you've been looking at social media the past few days you will have noticed that we've launched the 12 days of Christmas challenge for this year with our partners nuco.com. So what is this challenge you may be asking? Well it's basically you committing to completing just 12 hours of physical activity over the period of December 1st to December 25th. In its simple terms, it's 30 minutes of movement every day for the period. If you're joining mid-festive season, then it's more like an hour per day or maybe 45 minutes a day. It's any activity you choose to get you moving, get you festive fit. It's fun, it's free, and there's going to be lots of prizes up for grabs and it's open to everyone. 
over the age of 18. You can sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. We've over 250 people now signed up. So there's plenty of motivation, encouragement and accountability on offer from all the participants for all the participants. So back to this week's episode and we start with saying hello to Hayley. Hayley, welcome to the show. So lovely to chat with you. Feels like only yesterday we were basking in the sunshine of Tempe, Arizona at the Outspoken Summit. And of course, you are the co-host of the Iron Women podcast. So you're on the other side of the microphone today. How does that feel? Oh, I love it. I think there's a lot less pressure on this side. Also, I just get to talk about myself, which is like the topic I know more about than anything in the world. So this is great. I'm, ex- I'm happy to see you again. Yeah, um, it feels like really does only feel like yesterday that we we met each other. And of course, our journey started uh, back when I was on the Iron Women podcast um, back in October. That's right. You were, I think you're one of our most popular episodes. Everyone loved hearing about you and your journey to Ironman race announcer. And then it was great to meet you in person in Tempe. And now I think you've you've convinced quite a few women to travel over to Ireland so they can hear their name, you know, hear themselves called as you are an Ironman by a female announcer. So I, I hope the race director in uh, in Cork is ready for that. Yeah, I think <laughs> he is. Um, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. And of course, uh, the Women for Try designated race for EMEA in Ireland in Cork on the 21st of June. But it was so much fun over there meeting everybody um, at the summit. And I did actually call a few people an Ironman uh, on video while I was there. So we did have lots of fun. But we're going to talk about the summit a little bit later because um, we just know you as the woman behind the mic of the Iron Women podcast and some of your professional career as well. So I want to just um, go back really to where and how you got involved in triathlon. I know you come from a very sporting uh, background and you've had quite an illustrious career to date. You've had a big accident in the middle of it, which obviously obviously scuppered some of your plans in and around Kona a few years ago. But bring us back to where and how you started in triathlon, I think, to start with. Yeah, so I've been an athlete pretty much my whole life. And I was, I guess as a kid, I, my focuses were, my focus was swimming, you know, most of the time as I was growing up with swimming and I did dabble a little bit in running. Um, I was on the cross country and track teams at my high school, but I had a really good track coach and cross country coach at my first high school who kind of understood that I my swimming was better than my running and I was probably going to swim in college and he let me be part of that team, that cross country team in high school, just to make friends and, and be part of the school. But he didn't make me go to every practice. You know, he actually would drive me sometimes like after practice, like we would practice at this park near the pool and he would give me a lift up to the pool. (laughs) So I could, instead of running back to the school, I went to swim. So he was really supportive and I'm thankful for him because I think, I I loved running because of that, because it just had a great connotation in my mind. It was so much fun. And so I went to college and I swam. I swam at the University of Georgia, which is a very, it was a great swimming program. We won the national championship in 2005, which might be you know, the highlight of my athletic career, just winning with that team was, was so fantastic. And 
and I kind of knew when I graduated that I, I wanted to try running and maybe triathlon. I got a triathlon bike from my uh, my parents, my grandparents for graduation. It was a, you know, a secondhand bike. My mom knew a woman in Bozeman who was selling a bike. So they bought me this bike and I honestly didn't really know what to do with it at first. And so it's kind of sat in my, uh, my apartment in Atlanta as like, just kind of furniture decoration for probably the first couple of months. But I started working in an accounting firm and my boss, and it was actually my boss's boss's boss, one of the partners at the firm. He like on my like third day of work was like, Hey, you should run a marathon. And I, I just, I thought this was like, part of my job just you know even though I'm an auditor I was like I have to do this otherwise I might lose my job you know I and it wasn't really like that was it was just in my brain in my like staff accountant brain when a partner tells you to do something you do it whether it's get coffee whether it's go see a client or whether it's run a marathon and what age were you at this point I I was 22 I think so I was pretty young and pretty green and I hadn't really run much. So I'd run in high school, but I really, in college, I'd probably only run like, we ran to like, we ran like half a mile. And I probably thought that was like, or one kilometer, like really far, like that was plenty of running. So I, um, he gave me this plan, like on a spreadsheet that he had just gotten from runner's world magazine. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow this plan. And so the first day, I think I was supposed to go for a two mile run. And I ran a mile from my apartment and then I walked a mile home (laughs) because I was not in any sort of running shape. And it was, it was not like the greatest start, but I followed that plan. And then he and another partner and I ran like the Memphis marathon in Memphis, Tennessee. And this is in 2007. And it was so funny because I just felt so good on race day. Like it just felt effortless like for the first you know what a normal marathon like the first 20 miles were just effortless and I ran with my boss for like the first half and then I was like you know what I'm gonna go ahead and I pulled ahead and he um he was like you're gonna regret that and I did later but I was running so scared those last six miles because I didn't want him to catch me and I ended up beating him by one minute and I held on I mean I thought I was gonna die but I held on and then I really thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> he was not happy. And he got so much flack in the office for that, for getting beat by, you know, this 22-year-old rookie in her first her first marathon. So after that, he decided we should have a rematch. And he picked a local half Ironman distance triathlon. And let's just say I won that one by a lot. <laughs> so that and that was my my foray into triathlon. So I, I give him a lot of a lot of thanks. And um, and then you start to meet people and your goals get bigger and you like, you can see ways that you can improve. And, you know, from those starts, I went to all the way to the professional level, which is crazy when you think about it and look back on that. So you were racing, um, as an age grouper for a couple of years, you raced in Kona as an age grouper, uh, the swimming background obviously helped in Kona getting out of the water nice and quick. Uh, and getting out of that bike course nice and quick. But then it was 2013 that you turned professional. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So I raced as an age grouper for four years and I was working in public accounting and I loved my job. I loved being an auditor, which I know a lot of people probably don't say, but it um, it was, I worked with a great company and my, my uh, coworkers were amazing. And I don't think, I don't know if I ever really 
wanted, I wanted to go pro. I didn't necessarily want to quit my job, but circumstances happened and I got to this crossroads where it was like, I can either be a really good accountant or a really good triathlete. And it's really hard to be both. And accounting is something that I I can do when I'm 80. Being a professional triathlete isn't. So I made that decision and it was much, much harder than I expected. And um, I I really give my coach, Matthew Rose, who who has coached me my entire triathlon career, um, we're going on like 11 years now, um, a lot of credit because he kind of helped me through like the emotional part of that transition, which I'm really thankful for because it was really hard for me. But I did have a lot of support from my family and close friends who were just kind of like, give it a try. And even my boss, you know, when I went in and talked to that same boss and I told him, I, um, I scheduled a meeting and he's, he, I walked in the door and he was like, you're leaving, aren't you? <laughs> and, um, I mean, it was crazy. Like he knew it was coming. He had watched my progression and he's still one of my biggest cheerleaders. I still get text messages from him occasionally. So he was like, let's, you know, try it for a year. And if you want to come back in a year, you can have your old job back. So I had an immense safety net. Um, and that helped a lot to make that transition. And, and I think having my swim background that I did, I didn't find the transition to pro racing quite as hard as I know some other people do, because like you said, I I had kind of already been used to that racing alone off the front, even as an age grouper or just with a couple men around me, minus my very first Kona. That one, I think I got passed by like 1800 people, <laughs> but, um, but you know, you, you learn, you get better. So, um, I, uh, you know, I, I'm thankful for that. And then I also had seen athletes. I mean, I swimming at the university of Georgia, a lot of my teammates, my roommates, they were time Olympians. So I had seen athletes at the highest level. And even though I'd never made the Olympics, I kind of knew what it took to be an elite athlete. And I carried that with me into the pro ranks, which helped me have some success pretty early. So, um, I'm, I'm very thankful for, you know, that past experience kind of helping make that transition a little bit easier. And when you think about it now, we have, um, you know, we've issues with, with kids and girls dropping out of sport at a young age. So actually, being involved in sport right through your whole uh, schooling really has stood to you in terms of where your career is now. I'm sure as a youngster, you never dreamed of being a professional athlete, or maybe you did as a really young kid, maybe you did. And then obviously with the US Olympic trials for swimming. Um, But isn't it a great testament to the fact that you stuck with your sport that now it transcends across all of your working life as well? Oh, definitely. If you told 11-year-old me that I'd still be swimming, I'd be like, what? But I I give my mom and my parents a lot of credit. My mom's a fantastic athlete. She was actually a professional downhill skier when she was young. So I, I never really thought it was, you know, it was weird to do sports. And I realized as I got to be an adult that not everyone has that. Not everyone has like their parents just don't go out for a run. And I thought that's what all parents did. You know, I grew up knowing that when I got older, I would just go for runs because that's what adults did. And when I did get older and I did get into the working world and I realized how hard it was for people to break these stereotypes that they had grown up with and become athletes and find these healthier lifestyles, I realized how lucky I was that it was always just so normal for me. And, and I moved a lot as a kid. I went to, you know, several different schools and 
having sports and having a swim team made those moves so much easier. It made it easier to make friends and to find a place within the school, um, especially if there were school sports. So I am, I'm a huge advocate for girls in sports, girls doing, you know, multiple sports and doing, you know, making friends that way, because I do think you learn a lot of skills that you, that aren't just athletic. You learn teamwork, you learn, you know, how to, persevere and all of those things that are going to help you. Even if you decide to become an auditor, I used a lot of swimming skills as an auditor, if you believe it or not. I'm not surprised. Um, but even in terms of my own um, moving from, from Cork in the south of Ireland to, to Galway on the west coast of Ireland, I didn't know anybody back in 2004 when I moved here. And it's amazing how joining the Tri Club, and I would say that it was probably the most important decision I've made in my life in the past 20 years was joining the local triathlon club here because it automatically set me up with a whole new group of people. Um, I was a crap swimmer, wasn't a great runner, still still okay at the bike, but it meant that I met such a huge different group of people because of the three sports and it created a whole little community that's obviously built and grown um, throughout my own career as well, which is, which is really cool. I suppose there wasn't too many eyebrows raised at home when you decided you were going to um, give up the job as an accountant, having come from a background where your parents were so into sport and your mom was a pro already. No, I was lucky in that respect. I think my dad was kind of like, when I decided to go pro, he was like, I don't know why you've waited this long. <laughs> I think that was his response. So, and, and like I said, they were very supportive where, um, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, try it out. And I had some other really close friends in Atlanta. My, my good friend, Betty Janelle, who was one of my first training partners. And that was a funny one because Betty at the time was 44 and I was 22. So she was double my age and we just thought that was hilarious. And Betty was actually the reason why I first tried to go to Kona because she had qualified and she was my training partner. And so I just felt like I needed to qualify because if she's going to be training for this Ironman, I need to be training for the Ironman as well. So, and, um, and so she was really supportive as well. And having kind of even just, you know, you don't need a whole bunch of people. You just need a couple key people who are like, okay, we've got you. If something goes wrong, you're going to be okay. You're, you know, you're not going to be out on the street and you're not going to be, or stuck. You know, if, if you're stuck somewhere in a, a, a airport somewhere, you can call me that kind of thing. Even just as small as that, I think having those people is really important. And, and like you said, you can have that community even as an adult, like, by finding a tri club and by finding, you know, a master swim team, it's amazing. I never thought I would have a team like that as an adult. And it was amazing to find out you can still have that. So I want to jump in and talk a little bit about um, your accident back in 2015, because you were on a two year journey to Kona 2015. And was it 20 days before the race you were knocked off your bike by a car? Yeah. And, and, um, and I like to use the word crash rather than accident, just because accident implies that no one was at fault. And in this situation, 
someone was at fault and that was the driver. And so I was, it was three weeks before Kona. And like you said, I had, I had skipped out on, I I raced Kona as a pro in 2013. In 2014, my coach and I made a decision to not chase points that year because we were still under the point system. And instead I went to Fortaleza in Brazil and I won my first Ironman, which was incredible. So that set me up really well for 2015, 2015 Kona. It was basically, I almost, knew I was qualified almost a year in advance, which is the earliest I've ever been qualified for Kona. And it, um, you know, I, I went all out. I was, I booked a place for like a couple of weeks in Kona. I was going to go out there and travel before I've never been this organized. And then three weeks before Kona, probably a couple of days before I was supposed to leave and go train there. I was on my last long training ride in North Georgia and there was one car on the road and the one car hit me. And it was, it was incredible bad luck. It was incredible. Um, the driver shouldn't have been driving, um, you know, but luckily, I mean, I don't, I hate using the word luckily, but he, he did not contest fault. Um, and so that was good for insurance reasons because my first thought when I was laying there on the ground was that, um, oh no, I have to go back to my old job, (laughs) you know, which wasn't (laughs) bad, but that was my, that was my thought process. And I didn't even realize how bad I was hurt in the moment. I was really, again, luckily it was right in front of a church on Sunday morning. So there were a lot of people who, who came over. I was, I was, had been riding by myself. I had ridden, I think like 48 miles with a friend and then he pulled off and I rode two miles by myself and managed to get hit by a car. But I was glad he wasn't there. He felt terrible later, but I'm glad because I was like, that guy would have hit a tractor trailer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, it's better this way. And my injuries were like, I had lower leg injuries mostly, which, um, were, you know, it was good and bad for overall life reasons. It was, it was good because I, I didn't have, you know, major internal organ, um, issues or head injuries, but for triathlon, it was bad because that the recovery was a long process. And there were definitely moments when I was worried I would never run again. And what was wild was I was actually fairly at peace with that in those moments because, again, it was so wild. I I, I still had my phone on me, and even though I had all these people around, I called my mom first, who was in Montana, and I was in Georgia, <laughs> which I don't know why the thought process on that, but you just want to hear from your mom. And then I called my friend, my friend Betty, who was my training partner, who wasn't training with me on that day. She was actually probably about an hour and a half away. And she was a half mile into her own ride. When she got the call, she rode back to the car, rode a half mile back and then got in the car and drove up to the hospital. So drove like 90 minutes to the hospitals to meet me. So, and then I called my coach, Matthew, who also lived in Atlanta and I left him a message and he got that message and literally just started driving North because he knew I was at a hospital somewhere in that area. And so having that support again was like, it's incredible when I think about it, that these people who I'm not necessarily related to like stopped their whole days and came up to help me. And, um, and so, and my reaction to it was, was unexpected that I was just like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be done. I'm going to go back to public accounting. I'm going to have a great life still. And, and obviously it didn't turn out that way. And, um, after many months, I, I did get myself back on a bike and, 
And I still worry about those things because I wasn't doing anything wrong when it happened. But I, um, and so I, it is like, oh my gosh, I could get hit at any time in my life, but you can't totally live in fear. So obviously I've gotten back out there and over, it took me like a year and a half to like be able to do like a hard running workout, which is crazy to think about, but it gave me a lot of empathy as a coach too, for how long it can take to recover from an injury. And, and I'm so thankful to Matthew, um, for, for giving me that space and not pressuring me. And even from the beginning, when I decided I, I did want to start training, I was like, I, I put these so many stipulations. I was like, I want to do all my riding indoors. I want to uh, maybe never race again, or maybe do these certain races. And, and he was just like, okay, I'll, like, we'll just work with, with what you want. And, and then it changed, you know, and obviously now I ride outside and now I've raced a lot and, and he gave me so much time and space. And I'm so thankful for him for that, because now looking back several years later, I've had some of my best races since then. And it was that patience, you know, his patience and my patience in coming back and not trying to rush things that gave me some of my best years in the sport in 2017, 2018 after that crash. And the extent of the injury was, it was a lower leg um, injury, wasn't it? Below your knee, I think was where most of the damage was done. The worst part was like a huge laceration. So it was just like a lot of bleeding. And then I had a fracture in my fibula, which is like a non-weight bearing bone, um, in your lower leg, which is a while because it's like, you kind of can still walk, but I ended up in a boot and off of it for a long time. And that was one where Matthew and I were probably even more cautious than the doctors. Um, because the doctors were like, ah, you can probably, you know, because it's non-weight bearing, you can probably, you know, ramp up your running even faster. And Matthew's like, no, we're going to go slower, which was good because psychologically I was also really pretty hurt. And that's something that's hard to, you don't see it. And I ended up going to a therapist and that was immensely helpful because I remember, I still remember to this day that the time I said, you know, I'm not afraid to go ride on the road. You know, I'm not. And just hearing myself say those words, that was probably the best moment. And I was still in a boot in that point. I didn't go ride on the road the next day, but just hearing myself say that and realizing I had worked through all of that, um, you know, or most of it, again, I still ride with a thousand dollars worth of lights on my bike. I wear the only the brightest kits out there. I do try to ride at times a day when there are less traffic. And so I still take those precautions, but it's, um, you know, I think that was also a big part of it. Just the mental part. It's, it's crazy how, how hard that was. So what happened with Kona that year? Oh gosh. Tell us what happened. Oh, this is like, so I did. So again, I didn't realize how hurt I was in the moment. And I had spent so much money on all of that, that I did actually travel to Kona. And this is probably one of the biggest regrets of my triathlon career. I never should have gotten on that plane. And I knew I couldn't run. And, um, I, this is like, when you look back, I had kind of done some like doctor shopping and found a doctor who said, oh, it's okay to go. And, um, I, I shouldn't have done that. And so I went to Kona because I, I had 
a sponsor bonus that it was like a start bonus, right? If I started in Kona, I would get um, a little bit of money and it wouldn't cover my whole trip, but it would cover part of it. And at that point I, I was, I didn't know if I would ever race again. I didn't know what was going on. And I had spent, you know, a couple thousand dollars up front that I couldn't get back. So I, I went to the race, I started the race. I knew from about five strokes in that I should not have been there and it was not worth any sponsor bonus. So I did start. And, and the crazy thing is I hadn't really told a lot of people I was hurt at the time just because of the insurance reasons. And, and also I, I just, I think part of it was in my brain. I didn't want to tell people because that meant I was really hurt. And so I actually, I started the race, I rode about 40 miles and then I just knew I wasn't going to be able to make it up Javi. Um, my leg hurt so bad. And I should, again, I was, this was like one of the biggest regrets. And so I saw Hillary Biscay, who was one of my, um, sponsors. She owns Smashfest queen apparel, which is one of my sponsors. And she was on the side of the road and I was like, okay, she'll give me a ride back. Cause I, that was one of the problems. And I don't know if people talk about DNFs very often, but there's no like right way to DNF. And sometimes when you're, you're there and you're like, I'm not Miranda Carfrey, I'm not, you know, a super famous person. So no one's going to like, come pick me up. <laughs> um, I'm just going to be sitting on the road out here forever. And so I was like, okay, I know Hillary, she'll take me. And so she did. And that was good. And, but it took a long time to go back to town. And it was, um, you know, again, it was really emotionally hard. And that was, you know, before I had gone to a therapist and, and that put me in a pretty big hole, just DNFing Kona and, and realizing I was so much more hurt than I real, than I thought. Cause I think you kind of go through those first weeks when you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know? And you like will yourself to walk without a limp and you're like, it doesn't hurt. And then you're like, oh no, I'm in trouble. So that was a big learning lesson too. And, um, and I take that with me. And several years later, I was at, a, I was at Ironman, Arizona actually, and I got really sick before the race. And I thought back to that race in Kona, that DNF. And I was like, you know what? The smart move here is to not start the race. Even though I was in Arizona, I had spent the money. I was like, I've, I've been not in this exact situation, but I've been in a situation like this before. And starting an Ironman when you're not when you're very much, you're at like 30%, not even close to a hundred percent is not a good idea. I mean, the race is too hard. It's too hard for everyone. And so I was able to kind of draw from that experience. I didn't start Arizona and it was really hard. I went home very feeling terrible. And, but you know what, the year after that, I had my best year ever. And I raced more than ever. And that triathlon, I learned that training I did going into Arizona didn't go away. And it, it helped me, you know, immensely the following year. So, so that I have learned, I've learned from my mistakes. But how do you deal with the disappointment? You know, have you certain little tricks or tips that you have that you use to deal with the fact that, okay, so you were a DNF in Kona, you were, you know, you didn't start in Arizona. I'm sure there's been other things along the road that have been, you know, not worked out as well as you would have expected. So, you know, how do you deal with them? Oh, I cry a lot. <laughs> I'm a very <laughs> emotional person, so I'm not going to like sugarcoat it and say that I don't, but I definitely cry. And I think that's okay. I mean, I, um, I, 
I talk to my trusted advisors, you know, my mom, my coach, Betty, um, are probably the three that I go to the most frequently and, and a couple other friends who are just, who get it, even if they aren't pro triathletes, one of my really good friends, like she isn't a pro triathlete, but she was a collegiate swimmer and she's also just like a brilliant human being. And she helps me keep things in perspective. And so I think having a couple people like that helps me a lot. And, um, and then I think having like finding another goal, which doesn't have to be sport related. It could be something totally different, um, that is, is good, is healthy. I mean, it could be like, okay, I want to go to 10 movies this year. You know, it could be something (laughs) so like not related, but just having something, another goal that's maybe a little easier that you could achieve. Um, you know, that, I think that's going to help you get going again. And then also, you know, I, I also had to take a step back and be like, what do I love about triathlon? You know, and those were things like, I love, I love seeing great, crazy, great places. So after, you know, after my, my, even after the crash in before Kona, um, there was a race in Iceland in 2016 and challenge Iceland. It was a half. And I was like, you know what, this might be my last race ever, uh, but I want to go to Iceland. And so I went and it was such a spectacular adventure that I, you know, and I did finish that race, even though it was, it was hard. It was a really hard race, but and I, and because it was a smaller race, you ended up meeting a lot of people and, and that was like, you know, I want to do more of these. So in 2017, I went to, Ch- to Pucon in Chile. I went to China. I went to, um, Australia. I went like all over the world and I went on this world tour and I, it was so fantastic. And I was like, okay, yes, I love, I love the results. I do. I love winning. I mean, it, it feels really good, but it's also very cool to, through the lens of sport, be able to travel to all these different places that I never would have gone if I had stayed as an auditor or if I would just let my disappointments sit with me. I would never go to these places. I am a homebody. I I barely get to like the pool is like two miles away and that's like as far as I go. I don't have like a, a lot of wanderlust, but I've learned so much from this travel and it has gotten me out the door. So I'm, I'm thankful for sport in those ways. So I think you have to find kind of those other other avenues that sport helps you aside from just results. But I think it's also okay to celebrate the results because, um, you know, having a personal record or a best time, or even just going a distance you never thought you could is worth celebrating. And speaking of goals, you've set some lofty goals and won some magnificent races over the past couple of years. But overall, what do you think is your biggest achievement to date? Oh, so you asked me this at the Outspoken Summit, and I'm going to give you a different answer, which I know is crazy because my biggest, I think when we, when we talked before, it was your biggest finish line moment. But my biggest achievement to date, I think I, my, one of my best, possibly my best race was the 70.3 World Championships in 2017 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that race was important to me just because it, it was Chattanooga is about is a little under two hours away from Atlanta. So I don't live in Atlanta now, but I did live there for 10 years. Like I said, I went to the university of Georgia, which is near there. So it was almost like the closest we can get to a hometown race. And 
all of my friends were there from Dynamo Multisport, which is the team that I, you know, originally got started with in triathlon out of Atlanta. A lot, I had a couple athletes racing, Betty was racing, Matthew, my coach was there. And I, I just had like a really solid day. I was second out of the water. I actually led the race in part of the bike of we're going up this big climb and I I took the lead and then I was like riding out of my mind. I was going way harder than I should have. And Daniela Reef came by me and, and all, and this was the first time that the women had had our own day, right? So in Chattanooga, that was the first time that the pro women, we were in the front of the race. So all the cameras are on us and Daniela comes by me. I'm like, drooling and like snot everywhere, just like out of my mind going hard. She comes by me, like breathing out of her nose in the saddle, barely working. And it was fantastic to see that. I mean, you're just seeing one of the greatest athletes ever in our sport, probably the greatest athletes ever in any sport up close. And so she took the lead from me and she ended up winning. And so that was kind of, that was just a cool moment. And I took the, you know, I did actually take the time to like appreciate that even through my like foaming at the mouth, but I, um, I finished ninth. So to finish top 10 in a world championship on a course that meant so much to me, um, with some of my favorite people around was, was probably the most special day, you know, and it wasn't, I didn't have like some crazy miraculous day. I just, I had the day I trained for, which is it like all we can really ask for. Right. And, and I just felt very, very fulfilled. In terms of, I suppose, athletes that you look up to, you allude to, to Daniela Reef there, um, but like, who would you fangirl over as a pro athlete? Who would you fangirl over in the sport? Like, who'd be the ideal person you want to get on the Iron Women podcast or that you love to interview? Right now? Oh, that's a good question. So... Like, so originally I was a Hillary Biscay fangirl, like all the way when Hillary was racing, she's retired now, but I was a big Hillary Biscay fangirl because I just, I just admired her a lot. And, um, which turned into like me actually being friends with her, which was fantastic. People I admire a lot right now. I, I do admire Lucy Charles because I like swimmers, of course. And I admire how she's really embraced the role of being the world's fastest swimmer, which is is a hard one to do. And and her usage of social media, where she kind of is, she's get, breaking into that realm of like overall athlete, you know, not just triathlon niche, you know, triathlon, but like all of athletics. And I I do admire that because that's it's. I think it looks easy from the outside, but I think it's really, really hard. And so I'd probably like to ask, ask her about that. I also admire, you know, athletes who aren't necessarily winning everything. Um, Laura Siddle is someone we've had on the podcast already. And I, I think she does a fantastic job of, you know, chronicling her on the world travels. And she's, she's just she was a very good interview and I really did appreciate her coming on and talking to us. And, and I like following her, her, um, her adventures and, and she weathers some ups and downs. I think she broke her collarbone earlier this year. Um, and so there's quite a few, I mean, I could be here forever, like listing, listing women athletes. Cause I think that's the whole reason why the podcast, um, I don't know how, if this happens with you, but 
I have a list of like, uh, like 200 women who I want to get on the list. And it's hard. Like sometimes it is, I'm like, there's just too many. And then scheduling is hard, but it's, you know, I'm like, there's no shortage. There's no shortage of people who I want to have on the podcast. And, um, Sarah true was at the summit. She's another woman who I, 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 I've learned so much from her and, I find her fascinating because it is, it's kind of rare to have someone at the top, um, like Sarah True and Rachel Joyce are two that I can think of and um, that they're at the top. I mean, they've been top five at Kona and yet they are so aware of their place in history. You know, they know that they're very started giving back. They didn't wait for retirement. You'll see them at the summit. You'll see them um, working with kids, working with other groups and that's extremely hard because they could easily be resting on their laurels, you know, just collecting whatever paychecks they have. And instead they're already making a difference in the sport and they already are seeing that it is not just about them. It's about the future of the sport. And so they probably sacrifice a little of their like now for making the sport better in the future. And I, I deeply admire that. So, um, so there's a couple, but yeah, there's a bunch. I could go on and on. We could do a whole episode about that. Let's just like do a fangirl episode. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of hard. And I kind of put you in an awkward position there because you do interview so many athletes. So it's, it's not really very fair question, but it actually, your answer leads us into, um, um, the piece I do want to look at, which I did promise the listeners, was to have a little chat about the summit itself. Um, so you were the MC of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. So I'll give you the honor of maybe just outline, outlining what the summit was about and why we were all in Tempe, Arizona in November. Well, first of all, we're in Tempe, Arizona in November because the weather is fantastic. <laughs> well, that's I, true too. I don't know how it is in Galway right now, but in Bozeman, it is it is a little less than ideal. How's the weather in Galway right now? Well, I cold? actually haven't stepped outside my front door today, but it looks very dry and it's probably about two degrees. The sun was shining um, and it's cool, crisp day in December is how I'll describe it. But it's dry. Okay, it's not raining. That doesn't sound too bad, but um, we have about a foot of snow right now here in Bozeman, but... <laughs> We're probably at about two degrees Celsius as well, which I consider pretty warm considering some of the previous days we've had. But Tempe, Arizona is a lovely location in November. I, I It was, you know, they were complaining about the cold, but it was like 70 Fahrenheit, which is probably what, like 20 something Celsius. I'm, I'm like 21, 22 Celsius. So it was it was really nice, um, nice place to be. And the summit this year, so this is the second year of the Women in Triathlon Summit, the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit, and I've had the great honor of going for two years now. And the first year was a little bit more focused on the past and the present and the future of the sport. That was kind of the, the format. And this year was, the theme was leading from the inside out. And it was more about leadership, leadership in our communities, leadership in the overall triathlon world, leadership outside of triathlon. And it was, um, there were some of the same people, but a lot of new faces, including yourself. And it, it was, it was really interesting this year because we had some of the same speakers, but we had some also very new speakers and speakers 
speaking on topics that I didn't know a lot about. Mm. I didn't, I didn't know that much about trans athletes. And so having Dr. Rachel McKinnon there telling me about it, it was mind blowing. Um, you mentioned, or I mean, we had Rachel Joyce and Dana Platon there who from Reina's and they were back and, but then they, they've learned a lot in the past year and they're there to share it. And they're excellent, you know, excellent educators and just women from all walks of life. I went to the session with Dr. Takima Dorsey, who um, is the CEO of the International Association of Black Triathletes. And she gave this session on leadership that just had me like, who rawing out my way out of there. You know, I was just like, I felt like I had the tools I needed to lead anything, to lead a race, to lead a podcast, to lead, um, you know, a company. I, I just, I mean, it was really, really motivational, I guess is the word I'm looking for. But I think, um, you know, one of the biggest takeaways is just the networking, being able to meet with a lot of different women, pro triathletes, age group triathletes, uh, women from USA triathlon, women, you know, from representatives from the NCAA, which is a big deal here in the United States, like getting NCAA triathlon off the ground and, and into a full fledged sport. And, um, you know, women from the past of triathlon, Sally Edwards, pioneers from our sport that uh, that's a big, that's something that I really, really love learning about, like the history of our sport, because we can learn a lot from that. Like what were her struggles? What has gotten better? What hasn't gotten better? What do we really need to focus on? And so I'm not sure if I, I'm answering the question. I think I've gone on a couple of tangents here, but it was a good time and I'm still like buzzing about it. I'm still thinking about it. I'm still taking away my takeaways from that. And how do I, how do I incorporate what I learned at the summit into my everyday life and in my goals for the future? I, I think it was, um, I think it was really interesting. It was the first time I had been at a summit of that format in triathlon. Um, and what struck me was the caliber of the women and there was men there that were in the room. So you had everybody from the new female president of USAT to, as you mentioned, the pro athletes, the um, age group athletes, you coaches, you had business people, you had the media, you had such a huge different uh, mix of people that were there. And everybody was so lovely. Everybody just open their minds and open their hearts. I think that's what um, Lisa and Sarah had alluded to at the the drinks uh, reception in Fabric the first night to just be open to what we could learn. Um, and for me, I suppose, arriving over to the States, I actually didn't know anybody. I knew not one single person. Oh, sorry. I actually knew Rachel Joyce. I had met Rachel um, when she raced in Ireland and I'd met her in Kona uh, once or twice. And I didn't know anybody else. But for me, it was so overwhelming, um, everybody that we met and how friendly they were. And then when you break down the topics that were discussed. So um, I went to the Trastic magazine, Crafting Your Story, that breakout session, which was really interesting with... Um, the, the co-editors of uh, Triathlete magazine and they wrote a lovely piece actually if anybody's listening and wants to check it out on triathlete.com on some of the main takeaways that were were there um, but their description of it and I'm just going to read it here because it's quite interesting thought-provoking passionate and at times heated the discussion and debate that took place at this year's Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit was testament to the energy and intelligence of the people involved in our sport and I think that really captures everything because I don't think one person left that summit not having something, number one, not having something new to think about. Number two, not having an action plan 
to go away from. And I think every I think everybody was motivated leaving that summit. Um, regardless of your level of industry, like if you think about it, Anne Head, who is the um, the owner of Head Wheels. I mean, she's a formidable businesswoman, multiple Kona finisher, and she has the fastest wheels in the world and she's heading up that business. That's incredible that she was there with us. I mean, I didn't get to meet everybody, um, but she was definitely one of the ladies that stood out for me um, in the breakout sessions uh, and the round tables. And um, for me, it was it was the big thing for me was really the people. They were just uh, so amazing. And then the stuff that we learned, you know, that every decision we make in our sport can have a positive impact on people, regardless of gender, diversity, um, whether you're male, female, non-binary, whether you're transgender, um, it doesn't really matter. Um, but everybody's opinion matters. And at the end of the day, we're all athletes and that's what we need to embrace. And that for me was really, really important. And in I found as well that a lot of the issues that were being brought up by the participants in some of the discussions are very similar to what we have here in Ireland and the UK and what we would be aware of. So that was quite interesting to see that across the Atlantic Ocean and across such a huge, vast area of, of triathlon, that we were all still having some of the same struggles. So Ireland has about 20,000 triathletes and USAT has 400,000, which is quite an interesting number um, of, of, I suppose, a, a big difference, but at the same time having similar struggles. That That is interesting. And I, I want to ask about your perception. I mean, Obviously, you seem, I'm going to guess, that you're a fairly extroverted person. You're fairly good at, I mean, especially I'm assuming from the final night when we were sitting in the restaurant and you're like showing us all your different accents and, you know, it was it was a good time. You were you were the life of the party. But um, but was when someone's thinking about going to one of these things and they don't know anyone, you know, or they know one person like like were you ever afraid or do you have any advice for someone who who could be coming from far away and want to go here and meet people you know like what advice would you give them yeah i suppose um i smiled a lot and i was very open and i really felt that now that the people that were there they welcomed me as well so i think if you're going to something like that where you don't know anybody. Um, it's always worthwhile staying in the hotel where people are staying in because it makes it much easier to integrate yourself into the group. Within the first night I arrived, um, I think it was myself and Shannon were actually helping. Um, we ended up sitting with Sarah and Lisa, um, Alicia and who else was there? Mandy on the first night. And I was like, oh, hey, guys, how are you? I'm Joanne. And they're like, oh, my God, you're the Irish girl. And I sat down with them and they were putting all of the pieces together for the summit, all the little name badges into the plastic pockets. And I was like, well, do you want a hand? Because I'm going to have some food and have a glass of wine. And just do you want me to give you a hand? Because they were under a bit of pressure. So straight away, um, I had said hello to people and I had helped them. So I was kind of in the group. And then Shannon said, you know, do you want to meet me for breakfast in the morning? And I thought, hell, yes, I do. I don't want to sit at the bar not knowing anybody in at breakfast. So that was it for me. That started the kind of snowball. Um, I knew one person really um, walking in the door the next day. I walked in with Shannon and she was so lovely. And then it kind of snowballed from there. We did the pre-summit session. So we did the, the day um, on the Friday with the gender diversity piece and around your own identity and about brand identity and things like that. So when I turned up in fabric on the Friday night, I knew lots of people already, or at least they knew of me or I recognized faces. And, 
you just kind of, you've got to be very open, I think. And even if you're shy, being able to just go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm, I'm Haley, and I'm from Bozeman and I'm here today. That's all you have to say. And just be open for a smile. If you're having a coffee, say, oh, hey, or what are your plans for triathlon? Or, um, you know, I, I did give out a couple of business cards because people asked for them. Um, but most of all, it was, you know, oh, hey, are you on Instagram? Let me follow you. Um, so then you were kind of connecting a little bit. And um, that was that's easily done. And actually, Sarah True commented on it at one point. I think I hadn't connected with Shannon um, over uh, at all. We hadn't swapped contact details at all. And I just said to her, I said, let me follow you on Instagram because we were both running in different directions at the time. Um, and Sarah was like, oh, my God, you did that so easily. And I was like, but it is easy. You know, you just have to be open to it. Um, I suppose a lot of what I do in my day job as well is is networking. So it's probably a little bit easier. But yes, I was nervous. Um, you're, go- you're in a foreign country. You're in a new area. You're kind of you're going to something that you're not sure was it the right decision or the wrong decision to go. You're a bit apprehensive about who you'll meet, what you'll learn, what you won't learn. Will people like you? Everybody has those insecurities. Um, but it was it was absolutely it was brilliant. It was so much more than I guess I thought it could be or what I expected it to be, even just from the people perspective. Never mind what we actually learned, what we were brought through in terms of the journey for the whole weekend. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was the, just ha- basically everybody can smile and that's all you have to do I, and be open to it. I agree. And I feel like that description that you just came, gave could be used for, for summits, like you said, but it could also be used for a race. You know, if someone's thinking about going to a race in a foreign country, but is daunted by, you know, the travel or by having to go by themselves and not knowing anything or anyone, they know things, not people, <laughs> you know, they don't know people. Um, I I would use the exact same tactics that you just described and triathletes are fairly easy to pick out. Right. And so if you stay at that host hotel, you're going to, you're going to not feel alone at all. Right. You're going to be seeing other triathletes everywhere. So I, um, I think, yeah, it's always interesting to hear someone's perspective on that and, and coming from Ireland to a pretty, you know, North American based summit. Um, it's great to hear that you also got stuff out of it and it wasn't too, uh, too us based. Although I'm sure we did say everything in Fahrenheit and we probably talked a lot about inches and yards I'm just kidding. Miles. I, I just tuned out on all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that comes up that often. That was a joke. <laughs> no, but it was um, it was it was really good. And I suppose like for me, um, you know, when I so I worked in fundraising, a lot of people that are listening to the podcast mightn't even know this, but I worked full time in fundraising. And, you know, when I went home um, and I had been thinking about it for a while, but I worked for 11 years in fundraising. And for a long time, I had thought about going out on my own in business and pursuing my announcing no more than you pursuing your professional career you know um you you take a big risk when you do that but I always felt well hey look I can talk I can go work in a shop I can do whatever if it doesn't work out I'll, I'll find something to do but one of the big reasons that I found and one of the big things I found when I came back from the summit or even at it was over the past number of years we've done lots of bits and pieces around triathlon so you know we have the Galway babes here we have a four-person women's team that I spoke about on our Iron Women podcast and all that time from 2016 right through to maybe the end of last year I felt like an athlete and I was living the lifestyle that I had wanted I was working for myself I was working in sport I was getting lots of opportunities very grateful 
for what I was getting to do, but I was also getting to train. And in the last year, I haven't really trained and I haven't really raced. And the business has taken off and the podcast is fantastic and there's been huge opportunities and I wouldn't change it for anything. But what I decided coming out of that summit is number one, be your own um, change agent, which is what the words that Rachel and Dana use, that you can be your own leader. And the other thing is to go back to live the lifestyle, like Sally Edwards said in her presentation. And so years ago, um, I felt like as an athlete, now I don't anymore. But my mantra for 2020 going forward is live the lifestyle and get back into training and get back to race, to do stuff uh, that I enjoy about triathlon because I do miss I, I don't get to go to all the training sessions, but I really enjoy even going to the gym and you're talking for an hour. You might train for 40 minutes and I end up talking for an hour, but I miss that part of it as well. Um, and when you work on your own, I think it's really important that you find that tribe of people and you can find that everywhere. And it doesn't matter whether it's like your swim buddies or your try buddies or your go for a quick run buddies. But as long as you have that support network, you can kind of achieve anything. And I think for me, that was a big factor from the summit as well that I took away from it, that you can be your own leader of change in your own way. You need support to make big changes and to affect societal and cultural changes. But as a as a leader in your sport, you can do a lot and go live the lifestyle. So they were my big takeaways from it. I don't know, did you have a similar kind of light bulb moment at the summit? Yeah, mine was different. And I do want to ask what, what if you're going to be at a race bit, but it's so hard in your situation because I was thinking, I was like, oh, she should go do when Colonel Von Spencer, she said she was going to become a race director was her big takeaway. And I was like, oh, I, we, she should go race a Von's race. And then um, I was like, no, 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 but you have to announce at a Von's race. So that's always like, has, that's such a I can see where that's such a battle for you because it is, you can't do both. You can't announce and race. And I'm sure that you enjoy both. And so it's like having to make that decision could be really hard, but hopefully, you know, someone else can, can handle the mic for <laughs> one race. But, um, and I, you know, for me, I don't have quite, I'm still very much in my, my pro triathlon. I mean, I do other things. I coach and I, I um, podcast, but pro triathlon, I, I recognize this has a timeline and I have to really take advantage of that. But, um, I think some of my takeaways, one, well, and this is, uh, this is going to sound very U S centric, but the NCAA triathlon, like I, I, I was an NCAA athlete. You know, the, one of the main reasons I'm able to be a professional triathlete now was because of NCAA swimming. So, so just explain, because a lot of our listeners Sorry? are in art, just explain what NCAA is. So it's, National Collegiate Athletic Association, I think is that what it, that's what it stands for. So here in the U.S., we do we have, um, you know, in a lot of different sports like college college athletics is a big deal, and it's not just football. And because of you know, thanks to Title IX, which um, was a bill that was passed in. I think I should know the date, like the seventies. Um, you know, women have are supposed to have at any federally funded institution or should have equal opportunity. So there are a lot of opportunities for women to compete in collegiate sports. And that 
it helped me a lot. It's something I had that my mom didn't have. And you can see the difference. You know, I'm a professional triathlete. She, she probably could have been, you know, could have been an athlete long too. She, I mean, I got her genetics and so she's a fantastic athlete, but she didn't have the opportunity to go to college and compete and instead had to delay college, compete in skiing, retire from skiing, go to college later. That was the path she took. Instead, I went to college on, went to college on a scholarship, you know, between swimming and academics, I had my tuition paid for and came out of college without debt. And that is why I've and had the most amazing experience in college swimming for a team. So that is why I was able to, you know, start triathlon when I did. I had the athletic background and I actually had, I didn't, wasn't paying a bunch of student loans um, for my college education. So I'm very thankful for NCAA athletics and for that experience. And so now that we have triathlon is a, it's called an emerging sport. Um, so it, um, they, I think they have until 2024 to get 40 schools to fund a triathlon team for women. And right now it's just for women, but they're really close. They're at like 32, I believe. And so the NCAA triathlon, the national championship, which is a huge deal in the United States, like it's such a huge deal. It was happening in Tempe during the summit. And so the, the winning team was Arizona state university, the campus we were on and the assistant coach from from that school and the associate athletic director actually came to the summit. They ha- held a round table and they gave a little talk uh, Sunday morning after they had won. And they talked about the progression of triathlon. And, and this is something that I think any, someone from any country should be interested in women from any country, because you can get, even if you're from Ireland, you can get a scholarship to us college. Like if you were interested in that and get a great education and be on this team and, you know, race through, uh, through your collegiate career and meet a lot of people. And, um, and you can do that. You don't have to be an American. So that's something that I really want to get more involved with. Um, even from like a podcasting standpoint to be like, okay, I want, we haven't ever interviewed, uh, like an NCAA athlete. And to be honest, I've always been a little bit nervous about it because there are a lot of rules with the NCAA and talking to Dina Garner, who was the associate athletic director at ASU. She's like, no, we want to work with you. Come to me and I will put you in touch with anyone you want. Athletes, coaches, everything. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like in my brain, this was so hard. And again, you find the right person and it becomes really easy. So that's something, you know, the season is for from uh, it's September, October, November. It's a pretty short season. So that's something that I have on my radar to really, you know, elevate those women because what they are the future, right? These are the women who are winning that race now are going to be the future Daniela's and Lucy's who are going to be winning Ironman in 15 years. So let's, let's, let's make it a big deal. And so that's kind of one of my big takeaways as well. So the other thing, um, and I was just looking it up there while you were chatting, was that the Outspoken Summit in partnership with Women for Try and a few others um, have launched the Women's Mentorship Program, TBIW. So you can apply to be a mentor or a mentee in that program. Um, Now, I'll share the link for that in the, the show notes here. But it's something that could be quite useful for people as well, whether they're based in the States or outside of it. I think it's open to everybody around the world, female leaders, mentorship. Um, if you're starting out in business in triathlon or you're in business in triathlon, you can apply um, right up until the 6th of January, which is partnered with Outspoken, which is another really good, um, I suppose, outcome of the summit that this has now been launched as well as part of it. 
I'm so glad you brought that up. That was, yeah, that is a very cool thing. So if you are anywhere in the world and you you don't have that mentor, because again, I mentioned Betty, I mentioned Hillary, like these women who I have had in my life as mentors, and I recognize everyone doesn't have that. So definitely they should be checking out that that TBIW program to, to find someone. And it, you know, it's, it's one of those things you can try it. And if you don't like it, you can stop. And I think that's always, you know, a nice thing in life too, but you might end up with a friendship that lasts through your entire life. I mean, and then, and it's amazing. And it is, I think the women who are volunteering to be mentors, you're going to get some, some very, incredible women, just judging from who was in the audience, like you said, who was in the room at the Outspoken Summit, it's going to be, you know, a worthwhile relationship. So January 6th, that's coming up. Don't delay. Get on that. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to just ask you was, you know, within our triathlon communities, I know you're in the States and I'm in Ireland and, you know, the people that are listening to us come from everywhere, um, you know, but what can we do as females in the sport of triathlon in our day-to-day lives to embrace the idea of leading from the inside out and being outspoken in a positive way about gender equality, diversity, equity, and um, getting more women into the sport of triathlon? Well, I think, Joanne, what you're doing every day, you know, doing this interview with me, I think that's part of it, like uplifting other women. And sometimes to see more women in the media, you have to become the media and use whatever platform you have. And I think that is like most of us don't realize that our platform is bigger than we think with social media, with the Internet, with how connected the world is. If you get a chance to and you don't have to be perfect about it, you don't have to do it again every single day. But if you get a chance to uplift another woman to help them, I think you take it and also, Takima Dorsey, who I mentioned earlier, she she challenged everyone to to start a podcast, which <laughs> I found fascinating. But it is so. I'm like, if anyone wants to start a podcast, reach out to me. I will talk to you. I will help you. I think Joanne would as well. You can come as a guest on ours, and we'll talk about you know what it's like to start a podcast. So <laughs> you know, we're always thinking about programming. But um, but I think that 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 is. I mean, even if it's only your mom who listens you're still putting it out there and you're still going to get these skills and you're still going to get it you know you're 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 going to learn things and so i think some of those things which again are small um i i think they can have a big impact and so i think we're still we're already seeing a lot of those and I'm I'm happy to help if anyone if anyone needs my help I think and it's not just me I think you could reach out to a lot of women out there and they will help you so that's the other thing if you have a business idea reach out to a woman who started a business and they'll you know it might be only 15 minutes of their time but if 15 minutes could could change a lot for you and I love that idea of the social media piece because it can come down to even just liking an Instagram post that another female athlete that you admire or female business person um, has posted and even commenting on it and giving them a positive message and it starts a conversation and you never know where it goes, which brings me on to how I ended up at the summit, which you know the story of. But um, Alisa spotted a, a photograph that I had up for the Ironman 70.3 Dunleary um, the morning of the race, wishing everybody good luck on my Instagram and I'd hashtag women for try, hashtag why we try, outspoken uh, tagged it or saw it and we started a conversation about the female announcers and then I ended up on your podcast and then we had a discussion with Elisa actually we never even mentioned Elisa Chura big shout out to Elisa as well who put me in touch with Sarah and then a conversation ensued and there I ended up so 
on the back of social media and the outspoken summit, even commenting on my post uh, back in August, I ended up at the summit. And that has that just shows the power of social media, but also how uplifting it was for me at the time that, hey, the outspoken summit have commented on my post. That's kind of cool. They're following me. You know, so it's just that little, you know, for me, that was a big deal that you guys uh, at the summit had liked the post and we were engaging in conversation. So um, that was very uplifting for me and probably had a big part to play in in me ending up uh, at the summit. And one more question for you is, you know, as a professional athlete, you're balancing your training, your sponsorship, your podcast and your social media. How do you balance it all? How do you make sure that you're ticking all the boxes to make sure that you're not dropping uh, the ball somewhere on something? Or do you drop the ball? Oh, I drop the ball every day. <laughs> to be honest, there is no balance. I, I struggle. I do struggle with, um, you know, whether I'm spending too much time in a single area. And I do try to think about, um, you know, it is an energy management like anything in life. And there are ebbs and flows to my season and I try to kind of work within those as well. When I put in podcasting, when I put in coaching, um, I need, I need multiple outlets like me as a person, I definitely need multiple outlets. And that's one reason, um, like you mentioned earlier, like when you work, when you're a professional triathlete, you don't necessarily have coworkers. So having my athletes, having, you know, people I'm researching and talking to on the podcast, that's kind of my coworkers. So I see that that way, but my workouts, I'm the only person in the world who can do those workouts, right? I, that if it doesn't get done by me, it's not going to get done. Sometimes I definitely rely on Alyssa, my podcast co-host at Iron Woman to help with the podcast more. Like we, you, there are certain episodes that she puts in more than me when I'm have a race coming up or I'm in a big training block, she's helping with the scheduling more. And then there's certain races at times when she has a big race. So I take over and we've even done some interviews like solo when the other person's off the grid. So I think that having help in those areas, um, really, really is a big thing. And then also being honest with yourself. Like I, I know that sometimes I can't do it all, you know? So it's like, I have to be like, that isn't going to happen. You know, whether that's a workout, whether that's an interview, whether that's, uh, you know, a coaching call and be, uh, being like honest with maybe my athlete and being like, you know what, I can't do this meeting. I thought I could, I can't, can we do it in a week? And most of the time people are going to be like, that's totally good, you know? And, and so I think that being honest with yourself and not trying to overbook yourself is, is a key, but it's, it's easier said than done. And I've definitely overbooked myself before. And then I end up just crying. (laughs) Like I said, (laughs) crying does sometimes make things better. So not speaking of crying, but speaking of goals for 2020, what are your race plans? What are the plans for Haley Chura? What start line should we be looking for you on? And will you come to Ironman Ireland on the 21st of June, 2020? Um, well, you did convince me that the bike course there wasn't insanely technical because I, I was a little nervous after watching that race last year. I'm like a canceled swim in a very technical bike. It does not equal... Um, a very fast day for Haley, but Hey, sometimes I like doing courses that don't necessarily suit me and they can't cancel this one two years in a row, right? No, they could. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all for safety though. I'm not going to criticize them. But you could, you you could tie it into your holidays to Ireland. So maybe I'll be in Ireland. You could tie it into your holiday to Ireland, tie it into your holiday to Ireland and make it part of your destination racing. 
I mean, I love destination racing and, and even the people I talked to who raced in Ireland last year on that, you know, very blustery day, um, had a fantastic time. So I wouldn't say that's off the list right now. I'm actually, I'm actually racing this weekend. Um, I'm racing the California international marathon in, um, Sacramento. So we're recording this in, uh, I guess early December and I'm hoping to run a qualifying time for the U S Olympic trials. So the U S Olympic trials are for the marathon are February 29th in Atlanta, Georgia. And like I mentioned before, Atlanta is like a super, it's just a, it's where I got my start in professional sport. And it's just a super special city for me and the chance to run there at the U S Olympic trials. I don't know exactly how the, how Ireland selects their Olympic team, but for marathon and for swimming, it is, it's such a big deal. And I did compete in Olympic trials for, for swimming. I didn't make the Olympic team, but it was a crazy awesome experience. And so to be part of that is something that's very enticing for me. So it has been a little bit of a, you know, diversion from my traditional swim bike run to focus on this marathon. It's something I've never done. I have to run under a 245, which is a pretty fast time. That'll be a very big PR, but, um, I just wanted to give it a try. So we'll see how things go this weekend, see whether or not I'm going to be running the trials. I'll be fine either way, but, um, and kind of base my triathlon season, you know, figure it out after that. So it's kind of exciting. And one of the best and worst things about racing pro is that you can enter races a little bit late, but then it's bad because you don't necessarily have everything scheduled really far in advance, but that's life as well. So I'm, uh, just kind of rolling with things. We'll see how this weekend goes. I absolutely love it. And I'm going to finish the um, the interview at that point and wish you the very, very best of luck with the Olympic trials. I'm looking forward to um, watching it all unfold. You'll have to keep us updated uh, when, when the race is over. And um, thank you so much. And thank you for being such a superstar at the summit as well and for joining us on the show. I'm sure the listeners will really enjoy um, hearing what you have to say. So thank you so much. Gurumahagat from Ireland. Uh, thank you, Joanne. I'll talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It definitely was lots of fun recording it. If you want to check out the Outspoken Summit, it's on www.outspokensummit.com. You can follow Haley on Instagram on Haley Chura. That's H-A-L-E-Y-C-H-U-R-A 23. And that's the number 23. See how she gets on at the US Olympic Marathon Trials this weekend. Thanks as always for tuning in. Big shout out to everyone who has been listening in and sending messages to me about the show. If you're enjoying them, feel free to pop a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Facebook page, Try Talking Sport. I do actually love hearing your feedback and reading all the reviews on the interviews. If you have a suggestion for a guest, why not pop me an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com. Let's try with an I, not a Y. If you are enjoying the shows, please do make sure to get in touch and to give us a review. I really would appreciate it. And don't forget to share them. Remember, 10,000 downloads is my perfect Christmas gift uh, for this festive season. As always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to sign up to the 12 Days of Christmas Challenge. Until next time, stay happy and enjoy your training.